Hey, grab your Bibles and open them to the book of Leviticus. And um, while you're turning there, I want to speak to you about a principle. Um, I, I hope you'll never forget this principle uh, that I'm about to explain. Um, <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 7, by the way. It's the third book in the Bible. Guys, here's the principle. Before I read the text, let me tell you about the principle. Um, it's simple, but it's profound. The principle is this. Knowledge, divorced from relationship, produces Pharisees. Say that again. Knowledge, divorced from relationship, produces Pharisees. The reason I start out that way, guys, is because I want to explain what we do here at Grace Evan. Gang, when you're a church that majors in teaching and truth, like, like these intensive things that I mentioned earlier, I mean, this is, this is good stuff here that, that, that Will and Jeff Sample have put together. When you major in things like these, as we do here, there is a tendency to major on knowing stuff. And then when you, then you, then you begin to conclude that the reason, because I know so much, then I'm really holy. I'm really, I'm really a saint. Guys, the Bible is full of warnings about that very issue. You know, it says knowledge puffs up. Now, I'm not, to, I'm not trying to denigrate the, the usefulness of knowledge. Not at all. That's one of the major emphases around here. But here's my point. What we do in this communion service once a month is to remind you of something. We're reminding you that knowledge is not enough. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that we're after. He's a person. I am not calling you to a commitment to a cause. I'm calling you to a commitment to a person. And so on these Sundays, we get very simple. My sermons are very brief. Because we don't want to make the mistake of leading you into some kind of conclusion that if I know a lot, then I'm really saintly. Well, I hope you do know a lot. But the goal of that knowledge is to make us all like a person, not a, not, a, not a cause, not a political movement, not a conservative doctrine. No, no. And so we take this Sunday to say, let's forget the, uh, the emphasis upon knowing things and be reminded that Christianity has as its center a person. Let me read you the text. It um, begins in verse 37, and it's just two verses. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord 
in the wilderness of Sinai. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Guys, the book of Leviticus is not exactly what you would call um, a favored book or a favorite book. Not many people list the book of Leviticus as one of their favorites. Have you ever done one of those uh, read the Bible through in a year program things? You know, people catch those things every now and then. And we've even got them in our bookstore. There's a little schedule that you read and you're supposed to read the Bible through and in, in a year, when Susie and I first became Christians, uh, it was in 1970, and our church promoted this thing called Read It Through in 72, and uh, that was the first time we ever read the Bible through, it was in 1972, and it had the little little document thing. Well, the point is, <clears throat> if you've ever done one of those, the real, the real crisis comes when you get to the book of Leviticus. I mean, you read Genesis and, and, and Exodus, and there's so many wonderful truths contained in those books, and... And then you, then you, then you get to Leviticus. Everything kind of bogs down, you know? Um, I mean, there's been a, a number of very well-intentioned New Year's resolutions that have been squandered, uh, over the book of Leviticus. Uh, you know, I was reading the Bible through, but, but then, um, then I came to Leviticus. And that was the end of that. Because, uh, I didn't understand anything was going on in that book. Um, it was just game over once I got to Leviticus. And, and I, I will say this to you guys. There is no Old Testament book that is that presents more of a challenge to a modern reader than does the book of Leviticus. Because the book of Leviticus primarily is about the rituals and the ceremonies and the sacrifices of temple worship. That's The, the whole thing revolves around giving instructions as to how... God expects to be worshipped. In the book of Leviticus, God is telling his people how he wants them to worship him. That is, nobody is allowed to kind of go it on their own. You know, no, 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 um, lone rangers when it comes to worship. So not only does God say, uh, you don't worship any other God but me, but not only that, I, I'm going to tell you how I am to be worshipped. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about. Um, guys, that worship that God stipulates include or included several different sacrifices. Did you see them in our text? Verses 37 and 38 include the mention of no less than six particular sacrifices. Six of them. Now, one of them is an ordination um, offering. Uh, so that means if you are being ordained in the priesthood, they had an offering for that. But the other five, the other five were to be included in um, Israel's worship. Uh, all of those things, grain offering, guilt offering, sin offering, um, uh, peace offering, all those things were to be included in, the, in, in worship. And they were to be done in a specified way. And if you deviated from this particular way, it may just cost you your life. Remember the story of Nadab and Abihu? Remember that story? It's in Leviticus 10. Nadab and Abihu, and they came and they offered strange fires. 
What they were doing is offering a sacrifice that was not according to the stipulations laid out by God. And God consumed them as a result of their deviation. Now, gang, I'm not going to spend your morning um, going over all these sacrifices and and, uh, telling you what the specific stipulations and when they were supposed to be used. But all that's in here. But, But there is one observation that I want you to see. As we prepare for this, stay with me. This is not our text, but it's just the, it's the chapter right before us. In, in chapter 6, uh, Leviticus 6, 26, I want you to notice something. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it in a holy place. It shall be eaten in the court of the tent of meeting. Okay, guys. Um, that paragraph, if, if you'll notice in verse 25, is discussing... The sin offering. Now, that was one of those five, the sin offering. And if you were offering a sin offering, it is called, uh, look at verse 29, it is most holy. And if you were offering a sin offering, those offerings and the meat, you offered an animal and the meat that came out of those sacrifices was considered most holy and only a priest could eat it. And only in a particular place. So if it came to the, to the sin offering and somebody brought a bull and the bull was being sacrificed, the meat that was taken from that sacrifice could only be eaten by priests in a holy place. Okay? Now, if you'll flip over, just keep your finger in chapters, see if you can find chapter 22, same book. Chapter 22. Verse 10 and 11, we read this. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired servant shall eat of a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it, and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. Okay, now stay with me. I just showed you Leviticus 6, when there was most holy things. Then we come to chapter 22, and we find holy things. And if in this offering you offered an animal, well, the priest could eat it, but so could his whole family. Now, remember back here in chapter 6, if it was a most holy thing, only the priest could eat it and only in a particular place. But if if it's, a, if it's a, this different offering and it's a holy thing, not a most holy, but a holy thing, then the priest could eat it and anybody in his family and all his slaves could eat it. One more, back to chapter 7. In Leviticus chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, I'm not going to read you all this because just for the sake of time. Notice in verse 11, and this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So we've looked at sin offerings, guilt offerings, and now here's the peace offering. And when it came to the peace offering, anybody could eat it. Any individual Israelitish worshiper who brought a peace offering, anybody could eat it. So here's, here's the sequence. There are sin offerings. If you brought those, only the priest could eat it in a holy place. If you brought a guilt offering, the priest could eat it, but so could his family. It was just a holy thing. But then if you had a peace offering, the peace offering, anybody could eat it. You see, guys, um, in terms of Old Testament worship, 
There were certain things that were holy, that were not to be handled, not to be touched, not to be tasted, but anybody, but by a certain group of people. You had this and you knew, you, only priests could eat it. And if you touch it, you're going to be in trouble. There, there, were, there were restrictions, there were boundaries, there were limitations, there were rules around these, around these sacrifices. And interestingly, if you've, if you've come from Roman Catholic background, and I applaud the Roman Catholic Church for doing this, um, in the 6th century, in an effort to, to protect these sacred objects, the, the Roman Catholic Church forbade women to touch any of the bread of the Eucharist. You know what the Eucharist is. That's the Roman Catholic term for the Lord's Supper. And in the 6th century, the Roman Catholic Church said women can't touch it. Then the Roman Catholic Church in the 10th century came back in what they called the Ordo Romanus VI. And they said nobody can touch it except priests, bishops, and deacons. And to this day, if you go to a Roman Catholic Church and you involve, and you engage in the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper... It is the priest who takes the wafer and places it into your mouth. Because you're not supposed to touch it. Did you get all that? Here's the point. So who do we think we are by just in letting anybody come to this sacrament? Well, guys... That's not exactly true. We don't say, anybody out there want to have this, just dive in. We do say at least this much. We say, we plead with people. We plead with people who are not yet redeemed to stay away from this. Don't touch it. And guys, that's not just a church rule. That's not just those people over at Grace Advance. They're awfully strict. No, 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 no. You know where that came from? 1 Corinthians 11. Can I read it to you? Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. So we say to those who have not yet seen the beauty of Jesus Christ, and we long for you to see that one day soon, but if you have not yet seen it, then... Don't come. But ladies and gentlemen, one of the reasons that we don't think it is sacrilege to invite you all to engage in this is because one of the messages of the gospel is a proclamation, an announcement that the whole Old Testament system that I just read you about and told you about has been undone and fulfilled by Christ and his resurrection. He has torn down the veil that separated priests and people. Gang, have you ever read that? It's in Luke 23. Did you ever know what this meant when Jesus was being crucified? And remember, he's on the cross and there's a big... Um, there's a uh, darkness over the face of the land. And then it says in verse 45, while this, uh, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You do know what that means, don't you? The curtain 
of the temple has been torn in two. That is the thing that separated the people from the presence of God has been removed. And now, anyone rightly related to Jesus Christ has immediate, welcomed access to the God that made them and redeemed them. Gang, as a result of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you have become a priest. And therefore, this is yours. It, I didn't say you have become good. You haven't become good. We aren't good. None of us are good. But we're priests. We're priests because we're in union with Jesus Christ. And as a result... All these holy things, they're yours. And so I invite you in the name of Christ to come enjoy the holy things for the holy ones who are in union with the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will meet us here that you will remind us that, um, that at the center of our, of our worship, at the center of our religion, is a crucified Christ. And we are in union with him because of the great work that you have wrought uh, by the Holy Ghost. Now meet us, nourish us, remind us that the wall of separation has been torn down and we are now free to come into your presence by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.